there seems to be like a rule, like Metallica is a great example, but every band, they make a, a, a high water mark album as far as sales. And then every album after that, all the fans say, they yeah, sold yeah. out. <laughs> okay, well, hold on, let me jump in on this one too. So here's a, here's a hill I'm going to die on. And I say this as a punk rocker. Well, <laughs> that sounded so lame. I'm not a punk. I'm not a punk anymore. I used to be punk rocker. Uh, <laughs> You're killing me, TJ. Selling out is the point of starting a band. I don't care what genre of music you play. I'm sorry. You no. Know, anyone that gets mad at a band for becoming popular and making money, that person is a douchebag. Yeah, yeah, I remember this punk rock band called Nirvana, and I think they sold out pretty well, you know, like, uh, wow. See what you did, Jim? You got TJ all fired up, and he went and died on a hill. Welcome to episode 11 of the Plastic Posse podcast. It's 2021 now and we start off the year with a bang. We've got another long episode for you. Hopefully you guys like the extra content. If you do, make sure and give us some feedback on our Facebook page. Well, let's get on to the episode. Coming up in this episode, we've got a great interview with Enrique from the Race for Terra. Doug and TJ did that interview and it was Really, really good. You guys will enjoy that. We also have a special guest, Jim Bates. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks for having me. And Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Happy New Year to everybody. So TJ is joining us, as always, from his uh, secret laboratory over there in Virginia. How are you doing, TJ? Pretty good. And uh, Doug is with us as well, playing with backhoes and tractors from the sound of it. Doug, how are you? Hey, I'm good. Um, fortunately, I haven't heard this all day. I've been on the road, so ready to record. Hopefully, you can hear me over the noise of these tractors. Like I said, we've got a great show planned for you today. We're going to talk about New Year's resolutions, things like that, so that'll be great. Well, the first thing we'd like to do is to say get well soon to friend of the podcast, Ray Davis. He's having the second round of kidney stones, and having gone through that myself a couple years ago, it's, it's pretty miserable, so hang in there, man. I know, it, <laughs> I know they're painful, but hopefully you'll get through it. Hang in there, Ray. And we'd also like to say get well soon to another friend of the podcast, uh, Patrick Prowlis. His mom is uh, sick, and we just wanted to let him know that we're all thinking about him and thinking about his mom. Take care, Patrick. We're uh, we're thinking about you and your family. That's a, that's a tough thing. Hopefully she uh, recovers soon. And Ray, you get better. Get out of the hospital, man. I, I'm thinking you might like those nurses over there. You keep finding excuses to go back. <laughs> and uh, in a little bit of lighter news, uh, the T3485 group build that we started, is uh, it's off to a roaring start so far in 2021. Uh, we're up to over 225 members. I think we have 226, and several people are getting their models completed or almost completed, including uh, Matt McDougall, who you heard on the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago. 
uh, Sam Dwyer, Michael Koff, Jonathan Anderson, Ruxin, uh, Jewel. Hopefully I didn't butcher your name. And uh, Stefan Ezra Bridal. Hopefully I didn't butcher your name too. Just to name a few. So we implore everyone, if you're interested in the T3485, specifically the excellent Rifle Models Kit, to look up our group on Facebook and join. Yeah, just a reminder, there's no time frame on that. And uh, there's some great modelers in there doing a great job on that kit. It's a, it's a really nice kit to build. Really enjoyable group as well. Well, what's new with you guys? Uh, Jim, since you're our guest, why don't we let uh, start with you? Any new projects on the bench in the, the last few weeks you want to talk about? I have been racing to finish all the things I should have finished in 2020. The one that's probably the most embarrassing is a Bandai 1144 Snowspeeder because it's about eight parts, and I'm trying to get that done in the next couple of days. I got a Corsair that I was doing for Hale Wallace's uh, group build that should have been done already, and it's behind schedule like everything in life. And then I've got a bunch of projects. One of the things our local model club does is we build displays for the Museum of Flight, and we have a rotating display that used to be every three months and now is every four months. So I've got a couple subjects I'm building for our next display, which is Women in Aviation. It's supposed to be in February, but the museum's been closed, so we're not quite sure what's going to happen. We also had a, used to have a big show in February, which probably won't happen as well at the museum. So uh, COVID's really uh, bringing us down. Yeah, we need to get that out of our lives for sure. I'm actually in the middle of a, a quarantine. I don't have any symptoms, but I got exposed. TJ, what's on your bench right now? What are you up to? Oh, well, since it's a new year, I decided to step backwards in time and try, try to clear some of my uh, my backlog out. I wanted something a little different, opposed to what I, you know, opposed to what I've been working on and what I've been talking about a lot, which is Warhammer Forty Thousand Space Marines. So I pulled out my Rifle model Sherman Firefly, and I know it probably should be the T thirty four eighty five since we started a whole group about it, but this one was further along in construction. It was probably like 85 to 90% done aside from the tracks, which I have metal um, aftermarket ones that I'm going to use. Uh, so I actually just finished pretty much everything this morning. I'm looking over at it right now. I think it's all done except for the tracks. So it's um, actually getting ready for priming. How's that kit been? You like that Rifield kit? Oh, I mean... I've probably said it before, but it, I've found it's hard to go wrong with Ryfield models. I, this is my third one. Uh, I think it's the only one I've completely built, but you know the T-34, what I've built of it so far is spectacular. This one is phenomenal, and I have the full interior Easy 8 Sherman, which I haven't built yet, but if it's anything like this, which it is, I think it shares as much as it can, it should go together really nice. We, I think, before we were recording, I was, I was saying the one, the one gripe I have with this kit is they kind of force you into to photo etch on a lot of stuff, um, like the brush guards for the headlights and the the tail markers, which is fine. Th those aren't too too bad, but I prefer to use plastic brush guards for the periscopes, which even though I know there's talk that. Actually, most of the time, those are just taken off and not put back on, which period photos will show is more or less accurate. But I like to put them on because they look cool. Uh, Ryfield gives you four of them, 
and there are five periscopes on this tank that need brush guards. So you do not have enough to do just plastic. So you'll have to you do, do all photo etch or be a knucklehead like me and glue four plastic ones on only to realize there's not a fifth one. So you have to add one in photo etch. So hopefully it doesn't stand out too bad. But other than that, it's been fantastic. Come on, Ryfield. That's just bullying making you use photo etch. Yeah. And, and there's no plastic brush guards for the, the other, like the marker lights and the the head the headlights. Those you have to use the photo etch, but they're not too bad. They, they went together really easy. Yeah, they're going to look better in scale. I got a question for you. You said you've got metal tracks for that. Since the Fireflies on the M4A4 chassis, I think, are you going to need more than one set of metal tracks or do you have enough in the set you have? No, it should be fine. I have Master Club uh, Type 62 tracks. And if they're anything like any other Master Club tracks I've built, which has been like four sets, you have more than enough extra. Um, So I'm not too, I'm not worried about it. Because in reality, I don't think it was, I don't remember how much longer the M4A4 was, but it's not that much longer. We're talking about in the on the real tank, it's, I, th- I think it was like less than two feet longer. I, I could be wrong. So de- in scale, it's not that much longer. It's a, probably a couple extra tracks per side. So uh, speaking of armor, Jim, I know you're an aircraft builder, but, uh, how many tanks have you built, and do you have plans to build any uh, in 2021 or beyond? Well, I've done in uh, 2020, I did a 172nd scale Stuart, which was a plastic soldier company, kind of one of these gamers kits. I have a Sherman, Tamiya Sherman on the desk, and one of my goals for 2021, jumping ahead a bit, is to uh, build a 135th scale piece of armor. So a friend of mine gave me this Sherman. Thanks, Blaine. I'm going to do that as a Canadian Sherman uh, called Holy Roller that actually still survives. It's still on display London, Ontario. It, it came on the beach on D-Day and is still probably got homeless living in it, but that's a separate story. Um, <laughs> and it's still out there. And there's some really cool pictures online of it. And yeah, you guys aren't kidding. They, they've got some serious texture on the sides of these tanks. Yeah, they really do. And I think, that, I think that's something in armor modeling you're seeing a lot more of is making sure that, uh, you know, the appropriate textures are added to all the pieces. I know that's not really as much a thing with aircraft, but armor modeling that, you know, the last few years, that seems to be a huge thing, especially with these new kits. Yeah, and I I blame you guys for it, but it's probably really Night Shift's fault. (laughs) I watch those videos and I'm like, this looks like fun. I need to do this too. So that's one of my goals for 2021 is build a 135th scale piece armor. I wonder how many purchased armor kits around the world can be traced back to being Martin's fault. <laughs> Probably a bunch. Yeah, I was going to say quite a few. <laughs> yeah, I I listened to a history podcast called We Have Ways with Al Murray and James Holland, and even they mentioned Martin. So he's everywhere. That's a great podcast. Yeah, I, lo- I love it. That's actually the other reason is Al Murray has been talking about building armor. And I'm like, yeah, this, this sounds like fun. Everybody's doing it. So I want to be one of the cool kids. That's right. Everybody's doing it, man. So, Doug, what have you been up to? What's on your bench? Uh, my bench is covered with construction materials. I am drywalling my, my model room. That's what I've been working on this, this whole holiday break. I've got three rooms I'm working on in the basement, and um, two of them are completely drywalled, waiting for mud and tape, which is my favorite part. 
it's like filling and see, you know, filling and sanding, you know, a plastic kit. It's that much fun. And I've got, so I've got to drywall the third room and then I'll be ready. I've got the line sets pulled for my heat pump so I can get some heat in there. That's what I'm working on. Although I, I do need to get myself a few more um, good brush paints because I've got my, uh, my Warhammer uh, Space Marine Havocs that I could be working on when I have free time. So once my wife goes to bed, she doesn't want me banging around downstairs. That's weird how that happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially since one of the rooms is directly beneath the bedroom. Anybody get any uh, new kits from uh, Santa? Any new uh, additions to the collection? Well, this uh, nothing uh, from Santa, but I did sneak over to the local hobby shop and bought the Edward, uh, what is this, the Spitfire Tally Ho Special Boxing yesterday. Is that is that the twin kit? Yeah, it's the twin kit. It's the Mark II and the Mark IIb, and then they were having a New Year's sale, and somehow a 172nd scale B29 ended up in my hands as well, so... Uh, <laughs> What were you saying earlier, squirrel? Yeah, well, and and that's a funny story too. And this is this is just how my brain works. Is the I found out that the Canadian forces, and I'm a Canadian, had a B29 detachment. Which I'm like, they didn't have any B29s. What was that about? Well, I guess they were working with the United States to do testing and photography and signals work up in the north. And they had uh, Canadian navigators seconded to uh, American B-29s. And I think they were natural metal over silver with red tails. And I'm like, I got to build that. That looks awesome. That does sound really intriguing. It sounds like a cool paint scheme. Yeah, and I, I'm a big fan of any time I can find British and American or Canadian and American aircraft being used by the other country or goofy markings. That's being a being a lost Canadian living in the U.S. for most of my life. I'm all all aboard with that one. TJ, any new additions to the stash? No, um, I did not get anything model or miniature related or miniatures for Christmas. I got a couple like hobby adjacent stuff. I got a new de- uh, light for my desk, which is really nice. And I got a new chair. That's especially important for the podcast because now uh, I won't creak every time I move in my chair. It's, <laughs> I know that was a little bit of a problem. Doug, any any new uh, stash additions for you? I got some socks. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I got to admit I'm disappointed. This is my first year I didn't get any socks. I'm kind of complaining. (laughs) Well, they're good socks. I like these socks. (laughs) (laughs) Any, any, do your socks like have uh, Yoda or Darth Vader on them or anything like that? No, they're just, they're just, they're good, uh, Workout socks. They're not too too thick. They're they're nice thin. I'll be able to work out in them. That'll be nice. I also uh, I didn't get any new kits uh, lately. I've been kind of uh, pausing and waiting, running in place, waiting for my Crusader threes to get here. Keep waiting for that email from Patrick to arrive saying your kits are here. I did. I will say this. I did order some kits because the Big Bad Toy Store actually had a pre-order on on Bandai Y-Wings. So I went ahead and ordered a couple of those because they're like among my favorite kits I've ever built. And I just want more of them. Yeah, those Bandai kits or those Bandai Star Wars kits are getting almost impossible to find. I don't know if they just you know, had to lay a bunch of their workers off for COVID or what's going on in, in Japan. But yeah, those kits are hard to find right now. 
while we're on the topic of the Y-Wing, can I interrupt and ask, is there a huge amount of difference between the Bandai Y-Wing and the Fine Molds Y-Wing? The Bandai one is, is substantially bigger, just like um, a lot of their kits are. The detail is better. I've seen, I've seen uh, both built up. The Bandai just makes the better kit. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Y-Wing as well, and I want to build one, so I've been trying to figure out which one do I go for, so I guess I'll just buy a Bandai. Yeah, I built the fine molds, and I have two Bandai uh, kits. I haven't built them, but definitely looking at the box, the, you know, if you look at the Bandai and the fine molds X-Wings, they're almost identical overall in size. There's detail differences, but the Y-Wing is, is much larger for Bandai, and in typical Bandai fashion, like Doug said, the detail's a little sharper. And um, the the build, I'm sure, after building a few of those fine molds kits, which are, they're good kits, but Bandai's the best when it comes to engineering and fit and things like that. So I enjoyed that build enough that I've, I've built two of them and had to get more because I'll keep building that one. Cool. Speaking of that, Jim, when you get a chance that, 148 scale snow speeder kit that you have is fantastic. That's a really good kit. The 48th one? Yeah, the larger yeah, one. Yeah, I'm, yep. I'm kind of bummed because I, being a 72nd scale builder, wanted them to do everything in 72 so it would fit with my plane. So I could have a shelf of planes with like a spaceship in the back. And then they go and do the snow speeder in 48th and 1144 and just skip 72. Well, it is sci fi. I mean, you could, you know, just pretend it's 70 seconds go <laughs> i think it will be an awfully big cockpit for my port then you know what you just need to get yourself a perfect grade falcon there's your 72 right there yeah i have the 1144 falcon i don't think i can justify the big one i'd like it but i don't think i can justify it while we're talking about stashes uh, let's kind of move into our topic here the 2021 modeling new year's resolutions why don't we start with uh, how many kits did you complete? Jim, go ahead. How many uh, kits did you complete in 2020? Can I plead the fifth on this one so not as to incriminate myself? <laughs> so I I hate to admit it. I finished four. I finished a Tamiya Mustang, an Airfix Zero, and the uh, aforesaid Tiny Tank in 72. And I finished a Bandai, what I call the Dorito. Uh, what's that thing called? The, the Star Destroyer. One of my resolutions is to do better because that's embarrassing for the amount of time I was home. And with the COVID world, there should have been a lot more than four. Doug, how many kits did you finish in uh, 2020? You know, we talked about this either on our last episode or the one before that, and I left out a couple. I did uh, quite a few Bandai Star Wars kits. Did the B-Wing. I did a TIE Fighter. I finished the 144 scale Millennium Falcon with the uh, green strawberry upgrades, the Shapeways dish. That was fun. Another Y-Wing. And then I did that uh, Warhammer uh, Lehman, Lehman Russ battle tank and that Gundam, whatever it was, hella good, the HG um, suit. And that was fun. That was fun. A little bit challenging. It's an older kit, so it didn't go together as much as, as well as I'd like. But that's about what I got done this year. TJ, you're the champion, man. How many did you, how many did you finish? I built three models so uh that does not include the stuff i did for my war games so i i completed um the tamia sherman easy 8 the m4 a3 76 
WHVSS is actually what it is. Um, and 135th scale, I did that one. I did the new Tamiya 148th scale T55, which was awesome. That's the first uh, 48th scale tank I built. It was really fun. I mean, I think I knocked that out in a week, if that. I think I did most of it over the span of a couple of days. Yeah, those little tiny tanks are really fun. And then I did uh, another Tamiya. Did their Valentine uh, Mark III. And I did it as one in Russian service. And I did it in SCC2 brown, which is the ugliest color on the planet. I, I don't think the real one was actually that color. I, I don't... There's pictures of it that are in black and white and it's kind of hard to tell so it was either that or the service drab which is also an ugly color so i went with the sec2 brown um i was really happy with that one i think the sherman is the best one out of the bunch probably the best model i've ever done if i had to pick one i love that thing you're just partial to it because it's olive drab well that is a sherman i love i do love my shermans overall i think that might be like that might be my apex with a uh, build quality. I don't, I don't know if I can, that's the one I got to top. So we'll see. Other than that, I painted, I think I actually did a uh, crack 75 miniatures for Warhammer 40,000 and some flames of war stuff, which is a world war two when one, 100 scale, one uh, 15 millimeter scale. I forgot I had done a bunch of that too. So I was pretty happy with that. I painted pretty much my entire Space Marine army. Obviously not everything I own. I have lots of more stuff to it, but I have more than enough to play a, a game um, fully painted, which is uh, a big accomplishment. So yeah, I had a pretty productive year. I'm not going to lie. I would have liked to have done more traditional quote-unquote uh, scale models, but um, I got really in the groove in getting my Warhammer stuff painted. And uh, yeah, I still got more more to do. <laughs> only only 75 miniatures it's not that <laughs> impressive it's really not i mean there's people out there okay well my friend david painted over a thousand this year so it, that's impressive he painted 10 times more more than 10 times uh uh than i did so yeah oh look i'm happy with it i'm not gonna lie it's the most i've ever painted in, ever in however many years nine years I've been doing this. So yeah, I was pretty happy. All right. Well, I had a total of five completions for the year, which for me is actually pretty good. Uh, but then you kind of take a look at what I completed and it kind of pales a little bit. So I finished a Bandai 172nd scale X-Wing, which I painted in the uh, Phoenix Squadron markings from the uh, cartoon called Rebels a Star Trek a little Shengju I did an aircraft. I did a 132nd scale ICM Polycarpov I-16. And then kind of under the wire, I finished two of the Mang Toon Tanks. I know a lot of you out there are probably chuckling, but they were actually a lot of fun. I got a little M4A1 Sherman that I did in Operation Cobra Black and Olive Drab Camouflage. And I did a Samwa S35 that I did in the French kind of some people call it the uh, waves camouflage with the uh, kind of pale green brown and and dark green hopefully in uh, 2021 it'll be better 
And uh, I guess I'll start out with our modeling uh, New Year's resolutions. So my first one is uh, to be more like TJ and uh, get get a lot more done. But you know, I've spent the last few years, and I'd be interested to get your your, your take on it, everybody, on this. But I've spent the last few years, uh, starting back about 2017, really doing a lot of experimenting and doing a lot of technique-specific experimenting, using a lot of paint mules, doing projects to kind of work on one specific technique. And I think along the way, the actual skill, because I think it is a skill of taking a project from start to finish and getting it done and putting on your shelf, that skill for me has gotten really, really rusty. I'd like to get you guys input on that. I kind of, I guess, need some help on maybe how do I plan my projects better and how do I get more projects from opening the box and getting them in my model case? I'll tell you what, Scott, if, if I had a good answer to that, I would bottle it and sell it and become rich as hell because uh, I also have that same problem. Despite the fact that you think <laughs> I finished so much stuff, in the grand scheme of things, I, I don't feel like I did. And, and I have a lot of unfinished product uh, projects myself. Yeah, I, I'm in the same shoes. And this is something that I've been contemplating a lot for a little while. And, you know, I'll be pretty open. I'm kind of a mediocre modeler and I want to get better. And I realize that the only way to get better is to do it more often. And uh, I have a local friend here who I think he finished something like 20 models this year. Often the people who do that have a lot of free time. They're retired. And this guy works. He's got two young kids. He's got a spouse. So I was asking him, what do you do? And, and basically his thing was, I build every day for an hour. And, and I think that's an interesting way to just force yourself to do it. Just use willpower. The other thing that I spent a lot of time doing is I'm the guy who said, I'm going to save this kit till I get good. And I'm not getting any younger. It seems like every year I get a year older. It's really frustrating. I have all these kits and it's one of these things of kind of, if you look at kind of stoic philosophy, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? So why not just jump in and do it? I have a big order coming in from Japan of Mr. Model Focuser. So I'll send you guys all a bottle when we get it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's one of these things. I think we just have to have mind over matter and just do it. Cause I don't think we're going to get better just playing around with techniques. I think you're right. We need to finish things. I'll tell you the most radical thing I've thought about is I've thought about just tossing all my shelf of doom, which I won't do, and just doing one thing at a time, which sounds like the worst thing ever because I am Mr. ADD and I've got a ton of projects going at any time. And that's what happens. I've got 20 projects going. I do a little bit on each one and finish nothing. And I need to do better. So I think it's a matter of putting the time in and focusing and just doing it, just doing it. And if it's crappy, oh, well, who cares? One of my friends who I'd mentioned before who gave me the Sherman, he impresses me because he's he's somewhat new to modeling. He took it up when he got retired, when he retired, and he just has no fear. He just does it. And I'm so afraid of everything. I'm afraid of my airbrush. I'm, you know, I'm afraid of, you know, filling seams. And you just need to get over it. I, I'd like to add, Scott, it's I think you and I have a similar problem, but a, with different subjects. You finished armor. You know, you talk about I mean they yeah, they were tune tanks, but you talk about finishing them but you know armor and I know you started that X-Wing and you didn't finish it and you know you need to do some weathering on it and you are hesitating to do it because you don't want to screw it up. Well, that's how I am with my armor. I I just, I don't know armor, so I don't know what to do, what the next step should be. 
And so I kind of just push him off to the side, but I'll break into an X-Wing or, or anything else, Star Wars, and I'll just do it. And if I would take that same approach and just stick it on the armor, yeah, maybe the first couple tanks I do aren't going to look as good as, as I would want them to. That's the only way I'm going to improve. But, but I think we both have kind of a, a similar uh, block right there just with different subjects. I think there's a, it sounds like there's a whole bunch of roadblocks that keep us all from finishing kits. So Jim, you mentioned kind of starting a lot of different projects and, and that's something I struggle with too. When Doug and I uh, first met and we, we were modeling 25 years ago, I would only work on one project at a time and I got a lot more done doing that. And now I have seven, eight, nine projects that are sort of in various stages. And like you said, I think that splits my focus. And then Doug mentioned, you know, sort of being intimidated by one specific aspect of the build. And so you kind of shelve it until you come back with it. And I know TJ, wasn't that what kind of kept you from the the Firefly or was it just uh, the Warhammer guys all got in your way? Oh, probably a little bit of both. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know me. Scott, you and I have, have talked numerous times. I get in my own head a lot when it comes to finishing a, a, a kit and you know where to go when I am even like on the way there. And what I think would help, and this is this is the attitude I'm I'm kind of approaching I'm or I'm going to start approaching uh, my modeling with is just just let it go. Just see where it takes you, you know, not even necessarily with an end in mind, which, you know, can be important, but know where, where you want to end up and just figure out how to get there on the way there. You know, I, I was reading, it's like you, Scott, I have been watching Lord of the Rings last over the last couple of days. So, I, you know, then I started reading about Tolkien and, and everything and, and some, just some background lore to the universe he created and and in a lot of his letters and stuff he'll when people ask questions about why did so and so do such and such why did you decide that and and he he responds almost all the time well i didn't really intend it to be that way but that's what happened as i wrote it so you know even a universe as massive as the one he created he just kind of went along with it as he was making it up. And it, I got to thinking, like, you know, we could probably approach modeling that like that, right? Like just kind of see where it goes. And and me personally, I like when I was building that, that Sherman earlier last year, like I had in my mind, this is what I, how I wanted it to look. And then I would stress myself out over, I would do one thing. I'm like, that's not, Oh, that's not how I wanted it to be. That's not right. And I, was on the verge of putting that kit away multiple times. I didn't, and I'm glad I didn't, because when it was done, it wasn't actually what I had planned in my head that it was going to be. I don't know if you remember, Scott, but I sent you a picture of a Sherman in the winter from the Battle yeah. of the Bulge. That's what I wanted to do, and I didn't actually end up doing a winter Sherman. Now, I kind of want to, because I'm like, man, that would have been really cool, but it, oh, I was inspired by that picture and just made something else because as I was painting it and weathering it, it just kind of happened. The model is better for it because of that. 
You know, I've said lots of times, and and I'm 100% right, of course, <laughs> but <laughs> you're, you're your own worst enemy. And then I hear Jim say he's a mediocre modeler, and he's not. And Doug is the same way. And so how much of it do you guys think is that we're, uh, like TJ, we're our own worst critics, and we get in our way with thinking that a project's not good enough and putting them away because of that and not finishing them? Well, that's something that that I've kind of struggled with over the last couple of years, because my story was uh, I used to live in Ohio and I got nothing done. And it was simply that nothing was good enough. Everything I built got thrown away. And I moved out here to Washington and all of a sudden started finishing kits. And all my Ohio friends are like, what's the heck going on? And I joke, I lowered my standards. And when I say mediocre, I'm just, you know, I, I'm not I'm not trying to say I guess I'd rather get finished things done. And one of the things that really woke me up this year was a different friend said, well, if you're going to you know, save that to get better, what's going to make you get better? And I think the answer is focusing on it, building more. And we're our own most enemies because really, what is this? It's a even an expensive kit's $100. And I think if you screw it up, the world doesn't end. You know, like if it's not perfect, the world doesn't end. And being a guy who builds a lot of small aircraft kits, you know, there's no stress. And we all have probably more kits than we build. So why not just finish? Why not just kind of, as was said before, why not just enjoy the journey and worry less about the destination? Because, I, you know, I build for fun. I don't build for contests. I don't build for anything else. So why not have fun? And I think for a long time, the hobby just wasn't fun. It was more a slog. And I'm trying to figure out how to make it fun. I worry sometimes I sound a little bit too kind of hippie or woo-woo all this stuff, but I think we just need to approach it different. They're just toys. They're not, you know, if uh, if we finish our Sherman perfectly, it doesn't cure COVID. You know, it just sits on our shelf. And one of the things I notice is models I hated when I finish them, I look at them now and I'm like, eh, it's all right. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Doug, what, what do you think about that? Uh, the just do it attitude. I, I totally agree with it. Heck, I can look back. To I've got a few kits um, in a box now because of the construction, but uh, that I built 20 to 25 years ago that actually look pretty good right now. And I know I can do better than that, so why don't I just do it? You know, they were a couple of them were big kits. One was that Hazagawa F14D, and that was a beast of a kit. It was a ton of parts, uh, so so fit in some areas, and a, a whole lot of work. But I made it look good. And if I could make that look good then with the, the limited tools and, and uh, uh, techniques that I had then, imagine what I could do now. I think the answer is we just need to enjoy more modeling fluid and turn off the voices in our head. I would agree with that. I mean, I, I, I liked your comment about enjoying, enjoying the journey and not focusing so much on the destination. I, I, I'm sure you guys sort of go through the same process. But when I grab a kit out of the stash and consider it to to be my next project, I sort of formulate this picture in my head of what I want it to be. And of course, it never turns out that way. Right. Well, the other thing I'd point out, and this, this is going to sound a little probably uh, sour grapes, but you listen to Martin and he's complaining about, oh, I can't paint figures. Now he turns out and paints this beautiful figure that but even it sounds like even he has insecurities, and I wish my models looked something like his. 
And I, I just accepted, you know, I'm not going to build models like like the greats. You know, I'm not going to be able to build a model that looks like something Martin did or other people like Mike Grant or Joe Youngerman or, or Steve Husted. Why don't I just build something for Jim and not worry about, you know, what Scott TJ or Doug are doing, you know, just build it for me. Nobody really sees my models because, you know, they're they're sitting in my apartment. So who cares? Have a great weight be lifted, you know. I, I I promised Scott that I wouldn't talk about music, and but I'm going to talk about music. Is I've always felt like as a musician, kind of the jam or spontaneity is important, and that's you know the the the, the Neil Young Black Crows approach of being spontaneous as opposed to the Steely Dan of make everything perfect. And then I realized in my modeling i'm totally the steely dan everything needs to be perfect before we finish it and i don't think that's really productive for sanity i would agree with that i think that's uh you know a lot of what we've been talking about is you're setting that bar so high and then that you know that plays into your fears and your insecurities you know and so that that prevents us from getting these done and enjoying enjoying the creative process of of what we're doing and Great music references, by the way. I also need to uh, say the other thing I would say is I think it's pretty freeing when you have the picture in your head of saying, that's what I want it to look like and I'm never going to get there, but I'm still going to do it. I think that's kind of a freeing experience. Yeah, I would agree. And it could be, to use your analogy, it could be a little bit more of a, like TJ's example with his Easy 8. You know, he sort of started with a, prototype vision in his head and then it evolved into something else and now it's his favorite model so even though even though maybe that didn't meet his original paradigm or vision for his project it's it's his favorite model that he's that he's done so that i think that's a that's uh to to illustrate that point i think that's right on and as long as you're trying new stuff and this is something i've noticed i've tried new techniques on a kit and sometimes at least aspects of that kit turn out better than I wanted it to. So, so there's, there's another chance that instead of it not being as good, sometimes they turn out a little better or just different. That's usually what happens, but sometimes I get lucky. (laughs) So another one of my new year's resolutions is to make TJ listen to music while he models. No, <laughs> you know, I would love to say I do that and sometimes I do, but even being a big music guy, I tend to listen to talking more. There's a little bit of a reason for that. My 16-year-old daughter has autism and and anytime she's around, if I play music even on headphones, she flips out. I have found out that, you know, I I I switch between music and and um and, and podcasting. And I'm so glad the podcasting world has got modeling podcasts and history podcasts. Cause that gives me a ton to do at the bench. Yeah. I, I don't know, Scott, it's just, I don't think it's going to happen, man. <laughs> you might have to make that your 2022 <laughs> year's resolution too. <laughs> I, I, I just can't explain it, man. You, I mean, you know, you know, I love music. Absolutely love music. I mean, I've played music most of my life and, and I listen to it all the time. It's just, I don't know. You have music related tattoos. I do. I have lots of them, but I just, I don't know. For whatever reason, it just does not click when I'm modeling. I'm not saying I, I never do, 
you know, I think we've talked about that before. I will on occasion listen to music, but yeah, I don't know. I really like to, you know, listen to YouTube. You know, if I'm if I'm working on a, a Warhammer forty thousand stuff, I'll turn on a Warhammer battle report or someone else painting a Warhammer mi- miniatures and and listen to that. If I'm building like this, uh, when I was working on the the Firefly this morning, I had some more you know Sherman building videos, even ones I've already seen. I'll just I'll just put them on and a little background you know, noise, I guess. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I don't know. It's the weirdest thing, man. It is crazy. So TJ, what is your, what is your new year's resolution for modeling for 2021? Oh, my hobby resolutions. That's a good one. I love this topic. It's always my favorite. Um, I love new year's sidebar. I love new year's resolutions. I, I really do as, as corny as they are. I really enjoy them. Uh, so for modeling, and, and hobby related, I have a, I have a couple. Number one is to paint my brand new Tyranid army for Warhammer Forty Thousand. That's what I'm sure you know. People that are listening have heard me speak about it a few times. I haven't started yet, but to be fair, it is only January second, so I got plenty of time. Um, and I'm gonna uh, work on it in chunks because. The way that my friend Andrew and I play, we play a system called Crusade, and you start with a small army and you build up from there. It's like a progressive campaign sort of thing. So I'm going to start with 25 power level, which is a way that they point the 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 uh, miniatures. So it's like 500 points, so really small, the smallest unit you can play the game in. So that's going to be my, my progressive goal over the year, so 25 Power level, 50 power level, 75, 100. 100 is like 2,000 points, roughly. So that's like a full-size, quote-unquote, game in, in Warhammer. So there's that goal. And then my other goal is to clear out some of my backlog. Because I was looking at it the other day, and I was like, man, I've got so much stuff started that I just need... I, I just want it to go away. So that's that's what I'm doing. That's what I've already started doing with the, the Firefly I have that one. I have the Tamiya KV-1, which is fully built except for the tracks. Um, That one's ready to go, too. I thought about starting on that one first, but I started last year with the Sherman, so I figured I'd start this year with another Sherman. And then I have like three or four other kits easily. I mean, within arm's reach of me, I I still have that um, Tacom Mark I uh, male that I stripped and, and reprimed. So that's uh, ready. I've got the TACOM M60 A1 um, with the, the passive armor. That one I, uh, is ready for prime. Actually, part of that is prime. I think the turret's primed. I got to um, prime the body and I've already blacked on the tracks because I have metal tracks for it. I have the uh, Tommy, uh, was it the R35, the small little French tank that yeah. came out? Did that come out last year or 2019? I don't remember. I think it was 2020. I have that. That's built. Needs to be uh, primed. And I got a couple other things, too. Um, I've got a machine and Krieger kit. I have the Polar Bear. That's like half built that I want to start and enter into the Lincoln Wrights contest. So I might do that, too, and kind of do that uh, with the, the Firefly. So yeah. And I've probably got other things, too. And then my third goal, and I, and I want to do this one, especially because I think it'll be good for the podcast. I'm going to build my P38. 
this year. That's, that's my plan. It'll be my first airplane. And uh, I think I have all the aftermarket I need for it because I got masks and wheels and guns and probably some other stuff too that I don't even remember that I bought. <laughs> probably spent more on aftermarket than than the, the price of the kit. So yeah, that's uh, that's my third goal. So that's, they're in order. The, the, that's like in priority order. So my first one's to finish, you know, get my Tyranids playable so I can actually play games with them. And then the second goal is to, I think I can do congruently with the, the Tyranids is to clear out some of my backlog. And then if I have time, which I'm going to try to find time, I'm going to do my uh, P38. Those are good. Those are good resolutions. Doug, what are some uh, New Year's resolutions that you've got for 2021 for your modeling? Well, obviously, my first uh, resolution is to get the model room up and running. But I, I think that'll be done within the month. I should have it operational, have my spray booth ready to go, have just, you know, I've got plenty of power in that room, plenty of lighting. Everything should be good. After that, I'm going to finish. I don't know that I want to, that I, I'm setting a goal to finish more kits than I did last year. But the quality, the, the, the difficulty level on the kits or the time per kit is going to go way up. I will be doing at least one of the perfect grade Millennium Falcons will get done this year. And I think it'll probably be for the contractor that's helping me finish my basement because then I can do mine better. And then uh, there will be some an armor piece finished. It'll probably be that Ryfield T4485. Might as well finish that one. There will be an aircraft in there because I haven't finished an airplane in so long. I mean, I've got a stack of Tamiya, Tamiya kits that, that are calling my name. Everything from the P-38 that uh, TJ's talking about. I've got you know, their new Spitfire. I've got their 30-second scale Spitfire. I've got a bunch of, um, bunch of other 30-second scale stuff like the Mustang um, and a few other of their 48s that one of those will be involved somewhere. And then, you know, once uh, once I get some 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 of that stuff done, I will definitely get involved in in more Star Wars stuff because that's that's my jam. That's awesome. Jim, what about you? Uh, I think, well, I've got a bunch of resolutions and I don't know if any of them are sane. The first one is what I kind of mentioned before is I want to try to focus on getting an hour of modeling in each day. Just do it every day, uh, unless I'm on vacation or something. And since vacations have been canceled also by COVID. The other thing that I would like to do is finish um, ideally 12 models in a year, one a month. I'm not sure that's realistic. The other thing I've been doing, and this is this shows my insanity, is I right now have a list of the 10 projects I want to do this year. And a few of them are finishing up things that are started and but the big one I'd really like to do is there's a story from the Gulf War, which, by the way, was 35 years ago that or 30 years ago. It freaks me out because I remember it like yesterday. And um, I think it's 30. The Canadians deployed their CF-18 Hornets over there. And one of the Hornets, they basically flew combat air patrols. So they were air to air missiles and they took some pot shots at a... Uh, Iraqi uh, motor boat with both their Sparrow missiles. And it was the first time Canadian planes had been in combat since World <laughs> War II. And I just love the concept that we're going to take out a boat with a Sidewinder or a Sparrow. <laughs> and they they never uh, never hit the boat with the missiles, but they ended up taking it out with the gun. And I just think that would be cool. And that also ties into my other thing I mentioned doing the tank. But I'd also like to get do some articles this year. 
I've been published in the past by a couple of the British magazines and IPMS USA and IPMS Canada. And I'd like to get back to that. Oh, that's awesome. Those are great. I apologize for laughing, but the idea of somebody shooting a sidewinder at a speedboat is just hilarious. No, that's, that's exactly the reaction I want. You know, I just think it's so cool. Um, and, you know, I just want to build more and get better and not focus on being perfect and just enjoy the ride. Negative, Ghost Rider. The pattern is full. <laughs> Don't say that because I feel that somewhere in the middle of the summer, I'll be wanting to build a lot of super hornets if that movie uh, sequel ever comes out. So, and that's my problem is being focused. Don't just, you know, go see a movie or get a picture, or, you know, don't do the squirrel squirrel. That's something new. And I think that's what I really need to work on is focus. And I have none. And maybe it's because I focus so much in real life. I don't know. But my modeling is not focused and it's a disaster and we need to figure out how to be more productive. Because I've got more kits than I'll ever finish, and I'm only 48. So, oh, and the other one was my other New Year's resolution was stop buying new kits, and I already blew, blew that on New Year's Day. So, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> one down a few to go. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm I'm going to go with a with a couple here. You guys have given me some tremendous ideas. Uh, number one, I'm going to figure out some kind of a way to expand my project planning and try to anticipate uh, potential pitfalls before they happen. So line up prototype photos or inspirations, make sure I have all my all my aftermarket, and then create a schedule and then stick to it. And it sounds like work, but I think for me, it should help me focus and overcome some of those silly little objections that I always find. And then my next resolution is I've got a couple of uh, models that are have been on my, I guess, shelf of doom for a while. There's a little dragon uh, type 95 Hago that is in uh, base primer and also a, to me, a Hetzer that has a lot of aftermarket in it that's in base primer. I'm going to make a goal to try and get those finished and, and off of my shelf of doom and into the case at some point along the way. And then maybe lastly, just finish up with I think I'm as far as the number of kits I'm going to finish. I don't know that I need to do more than five, but maybe next year have my five projects be five more completely finished and more satisfactory uh, to me and to nobody else, but to me uh, type projects that I feel really good about. So I think I'm going to set that as a, as a resolution. So anyway, great discussion. All right, Doug. Well, uh, what's uh, what's the uh, mailbag looking like? Did we get any uh, listener feedback? We got some, and I will start off with Powell Kroll. He says, uh, thanks and all the best for a new 2021. I will say this. I looked at his profile. I'm not stalking. I promise, Powell. Um, he, as far as I'm aware, is our first listener from, at least that's contacted us from uh, Poland. Nice. Yeah, he does beautiful work. He does. Kip Jackson, sorry if I have messed up your name there, Kip. Gentlemen, I just finished listening to episode 10 with Malcolm Childs and Will Pattison. I don't know how these guys find time to do the things they do and build models. It's quite admirable, admirable, especially when compared to my own seemingly... Let's see, Kip, you use big words. You, you kind of tongue-tie me here. <laughs> Indeterminable hours spent hunched over at my bench. Peering through my uh, optimizer at some microscopic piece of photo etch for what seems like forever. 
Anyway, thanks for putting this up Christmas Eve. I listened to the entire show while my wife was surfing through TV looking for holiday programming. Thanks again for the show. I like it a lot. Yeah, thanks, Kip. Matthew Zielinski says, Hey guys, love listening to the podcast. I'd like to do a shout out to Wheels and Wings Hobbies in Toronto. They're wonderful people and a fantastic hobby shop with something for every kind of modeler. Even during the pandemic, they've kept the store well stocked and have offered delivery and curbside pickup. They even have a burgeoning YouTube channel at Wheels Wings TV. Michael Libero is back and says, Origin story, three years ago today, I bought, brought home some of my, my old stash from my parents' house. I somehow managed to build most of them. With each one, I learned something new. My favorite learning moment was with a challenger when Mike Rinaldi yelled at me for applying too much mud on Facebook. It has been so great to return to the hobby and have all these opportunities to share experiences and skills via Facebook and stay connected with fellow modelers like yourselves via the podcast. Here's to a productive and enjoyable modeling year in 2021. Godfather David Goldfinch says, thanks for a great year and well done for a fantastic show. Cheers from your mates on the bench. Thank you, David. We really appreciate you guys too. It's, it's going to be a great year. And finally, longtime Posse member Tony Jacobs says, thanks for kicking off a great new podcast this year and joining a new global community of modelers who share time with us with all of us nerd hobby nerds regularly it's been a crazy year but hopefully 2021 will be a good one for all of you and that is our mailbag awesome some good feedback appreciate that everybody you can uh, send your feedback uh, to us we'd love to love to hear from each of you you can send that to our facebook page the plastic posse podcast facebook page or you can email us at plastic posse podcast at gmail.com can i interrupt here for a second you bet. So I've been meaning to write this as feedback, but since I'm here, I'll just talk about it. And a while back, you guys had done a uh, episode on uh, mental health and modeling. And one of the things you guys had said was check in on everybody, uh, make sure they're doing okay. And what I want to bring out um, and tell people is if you are struggling, reach out to your friends. This goes back about 10, 15 years, but I was at the time um, in a pretty terrible marriage, really unhappy dude, didn't really say much to my friends. And finally, when I mentioned to a friend of mine, he was so angry at me. He's like, dude, we're here for you, you know? So don't feel like people don't want to hear your problems. And if you are struggling, just reach out. Don't let mental health take over. And it's made me sad reading about, you know, the rise of suicide and because of COVID and all this. Um, so I just, uh, want everybody who is struggling to, to reach out there with their friends or their acquaintances and talk to somebody because it's a kindness. It's not a burden. You're not burdening anybody. You're actually asking them for help. And that's a kindness. That's great input. And, uh, I really appreciate you saying that. And that's kind of, kind of one of the main reasons we started this podcast was, you know, we were all missing, like I think most modelers are, that interaction, you know, going down to the local game store, the hobby store, and telling lies with your friends and hanging out. And, you know, that's obviously been pretty hard to do. But even even aside from that, even when this pandemic is over, we all tend to be, I think, a little bit sort of wrapped up in our lives, not you know, not on purpose and, and sometimes maybe not as social as we could be. And I speak for um, kind of in in regards to what you said, that all of my friends, I'd hope that they would do exactly what you said. If you're struggling, 
give somebody a call and say, Hey man, I'm feeling a little down. Let's, you know, let's go grab a hamburger. Do you, do you feel like talking? And, uh, you know, so I just echo what you said. That's great feedback. And I just want to throw it out there. I think when you're in it, sometimes you feel like you're being a burden and you're not. And I just want to repeat that until people listen, because, uh, you know, if one of my friends was struggling, I sure as hell would rather have the call. Let's go talk. than the call, you know, we found him alone in his house with a, you know, something went happened. So be safe out there and just uh, use your support network. And if you don't have anybody, there's lots of people on Facebook, you know, pick somebody and talk to them um, because we'd rather have you here than not. That's, that's, that's great. Well said. TJ. What's going on in the Wargaming Workshop? What's going on in your secret laboratory over there? We kind of touched on it earlier. Um, I am now in possession of a large number of hideous alien bug monsters called Tyranids. I've got a handful of them built already. I've got more I need to build. I'm still, as of this recording, trying to figure out what I want to do with my color scheme. Um, I know, I think we, we touched on it, I think in the last episode. And of course, since then I've been, you know, chatting with my friends and looking at stuff on the internet and I feel like I'm getting closer. I, I got a couple sitting right here. I'm actually looking at them right now as I'm saying this, cause they're sitting on my desk in front of my keyboard. And that's kind of where these guys I, I want to start with. It's like a, uh, leader bug and then a bunch of other bugs to uh, float around with them. You still kind of lean into that coconut crab inspired look or kind of, I, I think, I think I'm going to stick with my current, my color palette for my other bugs that I did for um, my kill team, which is a, a another game based in the Warhammer universe. So yeah, it, it's probably going to be the, the bonish color for the skin and blue black for the carapace. Um, I'm just trying to, both make it simpler for the little tiny bugs I have to do. I need to find a, an, an easy way to paint a whole lot of things to my famously high standards, as you well know, Scott. That's actually kind of going back to what we were talking about before. That's that's one of the things that's that's helped me break through this year with like my Space Marines, which I still hold myself to a, a fairly high standard, but I got to the point where I was like, you know, I don't need to do, I don't need to take everything to the next level when I'm just trying to get things painted and look nice. So when I play games with my friends, it looks cool on the table, right? That's, that's to me, that's my end goal. I don't enter painting contests. I have no desire to do it with a lot of things, especially my Warhammer stuff. I just want my stuff to look cool on the table when I'm at my friend's house or I'm at my house or Hopefully, eventually, when I can go play at my local game store and I've got a fully painted army that looks cool, that when people walk by, they look over and I'm like, oh, man, that looks really that looks really cool. But anyways, so, yeah, I have that to work on. And, you know, I'm pretty happy with the 70-ish Space Marines I painted. I think, I think it's a little bit less than that. Overall, I painted 75 models. I want to say at least 65. Five of them were Space Marines because I did a handful of uh, Flames of War stuff. And Scott, you saw like the the typhoons, the little the yeah one 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 forty four scale typhoons that that's counted in my seventy five. Um, I did some uh, 
uh, universal carriers for my Flames War British Army. I did like 11 of those. What about your Sisters of Battle figures that you did for that auction? Uh, so, yeah, I didn't include them. For one, one, the first reason why I didn't include them, I totally forgot. Uh, the, second, <laughs> the second reason I didn't include them is because as as per the, the rules, I guess, of the um, the charity you know, that we were donating to, I didn't do the bases for them. They were based separately. That was part of the deal. So that was so all the, the bases matched for the entire army that was then raffled off. Um, so... I, I didn't technically finish them, in my opinion, because they were just 10 Sisters of Battles standing there. There was no base. They weren't attached to a base. And I'm part of the school of thought where a miniature isn't completed if unless it's on its base, and that base is complete. That's how I view if something was actually finished or not when it comes to like Warhammer-type stuff or, or any, any gaming system that uses bases for the miniatures, which is most of them. Um, yeah, if it's not on the base and that base isn't finished, it's not done. That's just kind of like my my own internal rule. So, okay, if you count those, then it's 85 because I did 10 of those. Just keeps that number just keeps getting bigger and bigger, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually did. I did forget that I painted a motor platoon for my um, British Flames War um, Army. So that was not That's five five stands of infantry. They're little tiny guys. They're they're 15 millimeter dudes. So they're literally like, oh, I think I got one on my desk here. They're a quarter of an inch tall. I mean, they're just really tiny little guys. Yeah. So that, that's actually what brought me up to 75 because there's five squads in a, in a motor platoon. So where does that, I know it's not a war gaming piece, but where does that bust of George Washington kind of end up in, in your plans for 2021? Oh man, I don't know. You know, I was looking at it the other day too. Um, yeah, I really want to do that this year, and I want to do it sooner rather than later. But the, you know, I don't know. Just just going back to like what when we were talking to Dukes about it, and, and even Will, like you know, bus painting is it's a it's a different beast, right? Like it, it's different compared to what I'm used to, like. Anyone that's, you know, look at our Facebook page because I think Scott usually share them and sometimes I share them like I, I've really gotten into this year painting bare heads on Space Marines instead of, you know, dudes with helmets on. Um, and, and that's actually one of the things that, you know, I, I didn't really say anything to anyone, but that was like one of my own internal uh, goals for this year was to get better at that to make them look nicer because, you know, they really make a, a miniature pop if the if the head is well painted and it looks cool like people notice that and and I appreciate that so that's kind of one thing that I, I worked on a, a fair amount this year and you know I've gotten pretty good at it in my opinion and in the opinion of other people too and I'm not just trying to toot my own horn like they're they're good you know they're not they're not the best by far and that's fine but you know for for what I produce they're pretty damn good but painting a bust is different than painting a little tiny space marine head and uh yeah i don't know i i really want to because i feel like i'm i could really push my my abilities higher but at the same time i am quite intimidated by it well i look forward to seeing that you know jim you had talked earlier about rabbit holes and 
I was on YouTube in a sword rabbit hole the other day and found a bunch of information on preserved uh, swords that George Washington had. And I've been sending those to TJ and Facebook so he can check out all the swords that uh, they still have of his. <laughs> this is what I mean. These are the things I can't even know existed because I do things that interest <laughs> me. So I don't need to learn about new things that could potentially interest me. To disregard totally. S words for 100. <laughs> Sorry. Doug, uh, what do you have for us? I know there's uh, no lack of Star Wars content, but what's uh, Doug's digressions got for us this week? Well, I'll talk to you about something and then I'm going to digress. Okay, so yesterday started popping around on Facebook. It was, I think, shared on our page as well as a bunch of others about uh, Revell Germany in cooperation with Bandai releasing the Y-Wing and the A-Wing. No confirmation on this as of yet, if this is real. And they're also talking about, for October, uh, a Razor Crest model. Yes, it's not Bandai, but it is, we're talking new tool, new kit, Mandalorian stuff, which would be very awesome. But, like I said, no, we haven't been able to confirm anything. And I will say that if it's not true, I will find out who did this. <laughs> and I will hunt you down, and then I will give you a strong rebuke because I don't want I don't no violence here. Come on, we don't need to get angry over Star Wars. There's too much of that, and that's where I want to digress. What in the world is wrong with people that are so wrapped up in their own view of this universe that they get angry to the point of threatening violence on somebody because they disagree with whether or not the sequels are good? or the prequels are good, or Return of the Jedi is the best movie, which there is, there is so much more that we need to worry about in life. Let's enjoy Star Wars and all the other things we like without, without resorting to, uh, to uh, getting angry about it. How about that? Sorry, that's my digression, my digression for, the, for this episode. Let me jump in here real quick uh, <laughs> to further that. Uh, I'm in a hilarious Facebook group called that's a weird hill to die on, but at least you're dead. And <laughs> the, the purpose of the group is for the people to come up with hills to die on. And uh, in, in the group, one of the rules are you can't a hill or facts aren't hills. So you can't say something that is an obvious fact and be like, this is my hill. I'm willing to die on the other day. Someone posted in that group, my hill, no one hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. And I was the first person to comment, and my comment was, facts aren't hills, which then everyone <laughs> agreed with me. Because that, that, is, that is an actual fact. There are There is no one on this planet that hates Star Wars more than Star Wars fans. And I don't understand it. Uh, <laughs> I know we, we were talking about it the other day uh, when uh, before we were recording, and, and you know, me personally, I love all Star Wars. Even the even the crappy Star Wars, I will still take over almost anything else. Can't can't argue with that. Can't argue with that at all. I mean, I I know what I like, what I prefer, but heck, you know what? It's all it's all awesome just because it all gives us the the ability to step out of whatever world we're in and go somewhere different and enjoy ourselves for a couple hours. Or in the case of Mandalorian, for, you know, four and a half hours. Because each season's about four and a half hours. And I can do that. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, well done, Doug. Good discussion. Jim, what's going on over at the A Scale Canadian TV uh, blog? All right. Well, I need to do two things because Dave from Kentucky reminded me that I never promote my actual blog. So there is a A Scale Canadian blog that I actually occasionally write things on. And I posted something up the other night, but A Scale Canadian TV. So when COVID started, somebody online said, hey, you know, we've all got this technology, let's use it. So I decided I'd become a a YouTube star. And the money and fame has been rolling in, you know, those 40 or 80 or 100 views, you know, I've made like $6 million doing this so far. Basically, it's just me rambling on about modeling life. And uh, I try to throw in occasional pop culture references that I think nobody gets. And I will probably record an episode after I do this one. So one should drop tonight. Yeah, I don't know why I'm doing it. I don't know why I do any of this stuff. But hey, it's fun. And occasionally people watch, listen. So hey, why not? As the uh, official secretary of the Rocky Mountain chapter of the fan club for a scale Canadian TV, I'll just let our listeners uh, know that if you enjoy uh, some good discussions about modeling mixed in with some excellent uh, humor and uh, some musical references give it a try give it a try it's a scale canadian tv on youtube and apparently there's a blog what's that blog scalecanadian.com and and since you mentioned music i'm gonna throw this into i wonder if there's some weird perverse thing about fandoms hating the work um, because the other thing that I see that in is I'm a huge Black Crows fan, and I am convinced that our fan base hates the Black Crows um, because they complain about everything they do. And and from my point of view, and maybe this is how you deal with Star Wars, bad Black Crows is better than nothing. So it's it's interesting how fandoms kind of cannibalize their own uh, what you're fans of. I don't get it. I I still see I still have my '90s ethos of it bothers me when bands end up doing commercials. Because you are selling their songs for like advertising. Like I, I tell everybody that uh, there's no way I'm licensing my song to Fidelity for a commercial. And then I start thinking, you know, if that let me not have a real job, I probably actually would. Every time one of those commercials ran, your accountant would be like, right. right. And, you, and you think, hey, the kid's college is paid for. You know? <laughs> Do you remember when Nike used the Beatles revolution yep. to sell shoes? And the Beatles fans were apoplectic, man. They were so mad. It was a good commercial, actually. (laughs) I guess it's their stuff, their call, right? If they own the rights, they do what they want with it. Oh, and the other thing I did not, and this, again, is uh, channeling David Knights. um, The other job I have is I'm the Facebook administrator for IPMS Canada. So join your IPMS. Uh, We and IPMS Canada are kind of cool because our next issue of the magazine will come with free decal sheets, and we do those every once in a while. So if you're interested in Canadian stuff, check out IPMS Canada because we have a really good magazine, and we occasionally send our members decals. Well, that's pretty cool. Great segment, everybody. I appreciate that. Just wanted to remind everybody that uh, this episode is sponsored by our good friends over at Goodman Models. Got to check out their super sanding blocks. They are terrific. I'm loving my set of them. If you haven't got a set of those on your bench, uh, I'd say go get them. Take it away, Anthony. Hey, this is Anthony from Goodman Models. You're listening to the Plastic Posse Podcast. This is the podcast for miniatures, Star Wars, science fiction models, and everything in between. 
And while you're listening in, working on your models, pick up a set of super sanding blocks, tools that will help you sand with precision. Check them out at goodmanmodels.com and keep the glue to your sprue. All right, and we'd like to remind all of our listeners to, if they have the ability and get the chance to please leave us a review on whatever platform that you listen to our podcast on. It helps get the podcast out to more people and it helps us know that we're doing a good job. We'd also like to uh, shout out to all the other podcasts in our little podcast network. We have On the Bench with Dave, Ian, and Julian. They just completed their big 100th episode. And they have uh, new episodes every week in January celebrating with them. Scale Model Podcast up in Canada is on episode 61. And you'll see that with, uh, you'll hear Stuart and friends on that one. You have Plastic Model Mojo. They are on episode 28. And Mike and Dave uh, discuss their plans for 2021. And the big trouble in Little Lexington. Ooh, that sounds dangerous. You have to listen to that. And then we have Just Making Conversation. They are up to episode number four. So James and Malcolm discuss reference materials. And then there's a new one on on the block called Model Geeks. They have their inaugural episode launching on January 8th, 2021. So I sorry to interrupt, but uh, I'm really worried that uh, Plastic Model Mojo might be done or soon because that big trouble in Little Lexington was my creative idea. And I'm suing Mike and Dave. For stealing my ideas, I'm gonna put them out of business because uh, we were having an email exchange one day, and that was the title. It was actually because I was telling uh, Mike that I heard through the grapevine that Hobby Boss put out a hit on him because they're always saying bad things. And Dave claims he's a lawyer. I'm not sure that's true. I just wanted to get in a Dave blast. That's main, the main reason I came. So. <laughs> <laughs> can i can i say something here just making conversation model geeks who are these guys to think they could just start a podcast willy-nilly like that <laughs> just kidding i mean here we are episode 11 <laughs> <Woo-hoo>! <laughs> well i hope to hear i hope these guys are good this will be fun to have a uh, new guys around can't wait to hear what they've got yep, looking forward to it and I'd also like to uh, remind our listeners to uh, check out some blogs and vlogs. We have a Scale Canadian TV. Gee, I wonder that sounds kind of familiar. I think we might have already yeah, that talked about a big that. Jerk. I've, I've heard of it. <laughs> and then we have Sprue Pies with Frets. So please check those out and uh, give them a read, a listen, and the whole shebang. Yeah, the, the, the Stephen, I think, is his name from Sprue Pie from Frets has come out of nowhere and actually created a fun little blog. I uh, I highly uh, enjoy it. Yeah, Stephen Lee, he's doing a great job. I, I really uh, look forward to those. He's a really good writer and very good modeler too. So, and he got he got TJ to say shebang. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to uh, go to the interview portion of our program. We're going to let you hear the awesome interview that Doug and TJ did with Enrique from Race for Terra. So here's that interview. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another Plastic Posse podcast interview. Today, we have a very cool guest. We have Enrique from the Race for Terra YouTube channel. Enrique, welcome to the Posse. Thanks for joining us. 
Thank you for having me. Hi there. So go ahead and give the listeners a little introduction. Who are you? Tell us about your channel, that sort of thing. Thank you. Um, so as you already said, my name is Enrique. I come from Spain originally, but I've been living in Germany for the last um, 16 years. It's been a long time. And uh, I'm an educator professionally, so that's my day job. I have a very understanding wife and a six-year-old who is going to be one day a much better painter than myself, I think. <laughs> it's already started. <laughs> oh, that's good. And as for my little channel, well, yeah, the name is The Risk for Terra, and it's mostly dedicated to weathering mostly uh, Warhammer miniatures, uh, particularly from the Horus Heresy. Recently, I've become really interested in scale models. That's sort of a going back to a childhood passion of mine. And uh, well, I'm going to start covering scale models as well. Awesome. Very cool. So how long have you been in the hobby and what kind of got you started? Well, um, like most kids in my class around fourth grade or something like that, I built some tanks and planes and it was pretty terrible. <laughs> so that never, never went on. And later on, when I, when I was around 14, I discovered both role-playing games and Warhammer at the same time. I tried my best at painting miniatures then, following, you know, White Dwarf magazine and stuff like that. I really threw myself into it, but I wasn't able to reproduce the finishes that I saw in the magazines. And for me as a teenager, that was really kind of soul-crushing. So essentially, I rage quit. <laughs> <laughs> There was a, a hiatus, and it wasn't until uh, later on when I was at university that I, I tried again, this time with 40K. My previous attempt had been more with Warhammer Fantasy. And I painted a, a few Dark Angels and stuff, and they were okay-ish, but I was still not happy with, with myself, so to speak, so I quit again. <laughs> it wasn't until much later when I was already um, a teacher, and I had... Um, two students who simultaneously wrote in a, in a little essay for me that they liked Warhammer. One of them played Warhammer Fantasy and the other guy played 40K. And they were both actually really good painters. They were like 15 years old or something like that. And I thought to myself, well, maybe I should try and support these guys. They kind of had no friends. And I started this school club, which very quickly became quite a, a hit in our school community. And uh, I've been doing it ever since. And that basically is what really got me started. This was back in 2008. So that is what made me kind of overcome my teenage rage quitting so that I could actually teach kids how to paint. So I taught myself to teach them, basically. That is really cool. Yeah, that is. That's awesome. You're the teacher that all of us wish we had. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. We touched on, you started with Warhammer Fantasy. Mm -hmm. So that's the the original Warhammer Fantasy, not Age of Sigmar for anyone out there listening that understands the difference between the two. Is there any other kind of hobby miniature games you're interested in? Is it mainly just Warhammer and the Horus Heresy specifically? Do you go to some other manufacturers, that, that sort of thing? If you mean right now, what I, what I mostly play is uh, the Horus Heresy. I also play bolt action, so I also like like historical war games, if you like. And I've been meaning to try Star Wars Legion, because I'm a huge Star Wars fan, but I haven't actually played that yet. I just have some miniatures that are in need of assembly and painting. 
That's cool. I also play uh, Bolt Action. That's a that's a pretty fun game. I I also really enjoy the historical aspect of it. Who do you collect for Bolt Action? What uh, nationalities? Just Germany at the moment. Okay. I'm, I'm playing with some friends. We're playing uh, Operation Market Garden. Oh, very cool. So I have a U.S. Marine Corps Americans, and then I have Soviets. Yeah, I, I like um, I like the models. I like the tanks especially because <laughs> they're the sweet spot between not being huge and taking a long time to paint, but not being really, really tiny, like a Flames of War scale. <laughs> so yeah, they're, they're pretty neat. Yeah, same for me. Also tanks for Marley. Okay, cool. So YouTube, what made you start YouTube? Uh, I, I always, this is something I always find interesting uh, to ask YouTubers. Why, why YouTube? Well, I mean, uh, there's no, no easy answer, right? But last year, I, I suppose you could say that I realized that it was finally beginning to approach what I considered like a decent level in terms of painting and weathering as a hobbyist. And I thought it was a, a gap in the market when it came to weathering tutorials. First of all, I didn't really see anyone who was showing wargamers how to weather their models. And I thought that alone was important. Secondly, I, I saw many channels run by master modelers showcasing their work, guys like Plasmo. I'm sure you've, you know of him. Oh, yes. Yeah, we're big fans of him. <laughs> I mean, everyone is, right? And I thought, <laughs> gosh, I could never possibly in a million years compete with with this guy in terms of the quality of, of his models. But at the same time, I didn't think there were very many channels out there that actually knew how to teach a skills-based discipline, which is what this is really, to adults. And I do, actually. In my job, I don't only teach kids. I also train other teachers, and I do that online. I have a master's degree in e-learning, as it happens, and I knew that I could transfer that to YouTube and kind of become a good teacher for folks who don't necessarily want uh, an amazing artist, but an actual instructor. Okay. My philosophy in that regard, you could say, is based on Heinlein, the sci-fi author. Okay. I'm sure you guys have, yeah. have read him. So there's this character in, in The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. He's called uh, Professor Bernardo de la Paz. And basically, he's described as the perfect teacher, not because he's the greatest expert in the subject. He just stays like a few lessons ahead of his students. But he's the best possible teacher because he's happy to be learning alongside the students. And I really identify <laughs> with that philosophy, both in, in my day job and in terms of YouTube. So I'm not a great painter. I can say from from watching your your channel, and I'm just getting started. I found it because TJ suggested we we do this interview, and so I started watching it. I subscribed to your channel and everything, <laughs> and I can see your progress in your channel just from from your very first one when you were doing chipping on the, the space marines, space marines, yeah, and then towards the end, the 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 last few, just how. Everything has improved. Your filming has improved. Your audio has improved. And I can see that in what you do, how you're learning as you go. And I really appreciate that because I think that's what it's all about for all of us in, in our hobbies. Thank you. And I'm not very good at painting. I'm just, I would say, average at best. But I, I think I'm good at, at sharing what I do know and um, happy to do that. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I know I appreciate it. I know a lot of other people out there do. So your your channel is relatively new, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Mm -hmm. I think within this year, so seven, eight months ago, something like that? Yeah, I started in mid-May. And since then, you've already got 1,600 subscribers, which, I mean, personally, I think that's really good. I think that's that's awesome. 
and you have over 40,000 views and 40 videos. So that averages 10,000 views a video roughly, which I think is pretty good. And you also have an active Discord community. So I, I don't really know really what Discord is. Could you explain that to us a little bit? Sure. There's about 80 of us in the Discord community right now. I think 78 uh, at the moment from all over the world, really. Basically, it's kind of like a forum. So it's not, not that dissimilar to the, to the old message boards of the 90s and, and early 2000s, if you like. And basically, we're just talking about weathering all the time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's cool. People post their work in progress pictures and uh, basically we're giving each other feedback all the time there's also like voice chat and video chat and stuff like that so people will ask me questions and will ask each other questions all the time the really good thing about it is that it's extremely positive like there's literally since we started there's i, I can't remember seeing a, a single you know negative or rivet counting comment well, then it gets kind of hard to count rivets on a on a Warhammer vehicle, in my opinion. Oh well, there's all sorts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. We've we've uh, kind of talked about that before. <laughs> it's something else. Your channel seems to be, you know, growing growing pretty well. What are your plans for? So this this episode will come out after December 31st, so it'll be 2021. Where, where do you see your channel going for 2021 and hopefully beyond. Well, I mean, I don't know. Um, let's see where, where it takes us, right? My priority is to, to, to keep making videos, to, to try and, and, and improve as a content creator, to try and improve as a modeler, first of all, which I, I really believe that I, I can learn from people in the community as well. It's not about me pontificating about stuff. It's really about learning together. I hope that I can remain productive. You know, there's always ups and downs in our day jobs as well times when things get a bit tough and it's harder to make to make videos. I hope that I can stay consistent. My main goal, to be honest, is to try and attract also a different audience to the channel. Like I said before, I'm starting to get myself into scale models. I just finished a uh, 116th scale Panzer 1. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Mm-hmm. I did. And it's been tough. Like I've, I've never invested so many hours into one model. It took me basically three months to finish it. And that's going to be my next video next week, hopefully. I've got over 10 hours of footage to cut and edit. That That's going to keep me entertained. And basically, I want to start doing more scale models myself and hopefully attract some of the scale modeling crowd, if you like. Make it kind of a dual channel, so no longer just Warhammer. Okay. Uh, well, I'm interested to see that because as a, I guess for lack of a term, dual discipline modeler myself... I always, you know, I always feel like there's not a whole lot of us out there that that kind of do both. Right. So that's pretty neat. I'm I'm really interested in uh, seeing where you go with that. Yeah, I've, I've listened to all your episodes. <laughs> Basically, while doing the the pastor, I've been painting or weathering and and listening to you guys. And one of the things that I appreciated the most in your show is precisely that that it's not just about, for example, military models. But there really is a, a variety of stuff. You guys talk about science fiction a lot, about Machine and Kriga, Star Wars, Warhammer as well. I think it's quite rare. I, I don't see many content creators in any medium, be that podcast or YouTube, actually doing this kind of, I don't know, ecumenical painting, if you like, all kinds of plastic, all denominations. 
I think that was that was our idea right from the start was we we saw that there was a, a niche for us to fill. Most others don't. And they do their thing and they do it very well. The other podcasts, we really we really enjoy them. But we had a different angle and that's that's kind of how we got started. Yep. Well, I fully support that. I think that's the way to go. <laughs> oh, okay. So kind of on that same same token, you know, as as a content creator yourself, what do you look for in YouTube videos or anything like that? And is there any particular YouTube video or YouTube content creators that that you follow, scale model related or otherwise? Well, I, I follow a lot. I am subscribed to I think like over fifty channels. What I look for in other YouTube videos or in other uh, YouTubers, if you like, is kind of the same that I, I try to offer, which is uh, content that helps me learn a particular technique or skill. I don't think this is necessarily. I, I don't think the best teacher is necessarily the the best modeler, for example, or the best whatever it is. Uh, my favorite channel. I think is um, is one that maybe you, you don't know. It's called Carson. I mean, he's called Carson, and the channel is called Tight Head Prop Painting. And basically, he does um, military models and bolt action. Well, tanks basically. It's it's all armor. And uh, this guy Carson. Well, I would say this: if if it wasn't for him, I don't think I would I would ever have learned how to use enamel, pigments, or anything else. So I owe him. A debt of gratitude. His content was really what got me started with the whole weathering thing. I think I've seen some of his videos. Is he is he German? Yeah, he's German. He used to publish in. Yes, I have seen his videos. Yeah, he, he's fantastic. Again, I don't think he's very well known. It's not the, the the biggest channel by any stretch of the imagination. But I think he's great at really basically providing like quality instructional content, and he helped me a lot. <laughs> So a big shout out to him. The focus of your channels that I've seen has kind of been weathering your Warhammer and your gaming miniatures. It's not something you see a whole lot. Well, you especially didn't in the past. This recently, there's there's kind of been a theme with with uh, weathering your wargaming stuff. Why do you think it's important to to weather your your gaming miniatures? Well, um. To me, a miniature without weathering would be a toy, right? Not not really believable. I know that there's this whole discussion about whether or not miniatures from science fiction war games like Warhammer 40,000 or 30,000 can be considered realistic or not. But for me, the red word or the red concept is not realistic, but it's a very similitude. So is it believable? Can, can you believe that it's, for example, a tank that could actually exist in, in this fictional universe. As I said before, the war game that I really play the most is the Horus Heresy. And basically, this game is all about reenacting a specific period of history, even if it is, well, fictional history, right? Um, it started in 2012, and I distinctly remember the moment when I laid eyes on the first uh, mo- models from Forgeworld that came out in 2012. I have a video on this as well. To me, it was like a revelation. You know, we're all used, uh, TJ, you, you, you play and paint Warhammer, so you know that we're all used to like edge highlights and these flashy gradients of color and stuff. And suddenly, all of that was gone completely. There was none of it. And instead, you had desaturated colors, you had chipping, you had pigments. The models all looked like dirty and gritty. And it was like, 
what is this? You know, <laughs> this is nothing like anything I've seen before. Not Warhammer related, that's for sure. That sort of revelation, that's what attracted me to weathering and to this whole other side of, of things, basically, where there could be a much bigger connection between the models on the table and all the novels, all the, all the, all the stories that I'd been reading for years, where everything seemed like really gritty and dark. And there was this disconnect before between that darkness in the, in the narrative and then these kind of comic book style hyper highlighted models that seemed not to be from that universe in reality. Did that make sense? Yeah, it does. And uh, you're not the only person that thinks that. Um, I definitely have also noticed that, that it didn't, you know, independent of what's popular now, I know in the back of my mind, you know, getting into Warhammer, which was not that long ago for me, that, you know, what you see in the rule books and in the codexes and you read about in the books, I've read a couple of the books, including the original Space Marine novel, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is about Imperial Fist. It's a pretty cool book. An excellent um, book. Of course, <laughs> you know, most of what they talk about there has kind of been retcon, but, you know, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, you know, the universe they describe in the rule books and the codexes doesn't necessarily translate to the army you see on the box when you go into the store. And that is, that is kind of interesting, you know, that I don't know. I don't really know why, because that's, that's kind of odd because, you know, they sell it as this super dark and gritty universe, but then everything's bright yellow and bright blue <laughs> and, you know, which is cool. You know, that it looks, it looks nice, but it's almost like there's two different uh, things at work uh, working against each other. But I guess that's, for the people that make the decisions at Games Workshop to decide. <laughs> About, I don't know, six years ago, my son gave me a uh, battle force that was Dark Eldar. I, I'm not a Warhammer person. I still am not. But he just thought I'd have fun building it. And I looked at it, and my first impression was, if they, they're supposedly they lived in a the part of the universe that's dark. It's black. There's no light. So why do they have these bright highlights on everything? I would think that if it's dark, <laughs> then everything should be kind of look really beat up without a lot of color and without, a, and so I kind of modeled it that way. I changed, I, and I did it my own way. And that's, that's how I am with that stuff. Just put these things together, added a little color here and there, but dark and dingy and, and just tried to make them look what I would think something from that world should look like. <laughs> Sounds good to me. I'd like to see pictures of that. I gave it to a guy that would play with them and uh, <laughs> never did, never did take any pictures of it. That was, you know, years ago. I wasn't too interested in tracking my my progress. But I'll say the same stuff about my Star Wars things. Because Star Wars is my big thing. Even though I love airplanes and, and stuff, Star Wars is mostly what I build. And just like you were talking about the reality in that universe, well, Star Wars is the same way. The Millennium Falcon really be able to do what it does? Heck no. I don't care. I love that ship. And I don't I don't need to worry about that. I just want to build some relatively good facsimiles of the Millennium Falcon so I can have them in my house. <laughs> now, kind of going back to what we were saying about the story and the lore of the game not matching what you see on the boxes. Now, uh, me, me personally, I am also I'm guilty of that. Now, you know, I don't paint ultramarines or imperial fists or any bright, ridiculously colored <laughs> 
chapter. I, I paint uh, the Raptors, which are olive drab, but I typically don't weather my miniatures. I don't go for the you know extreme edge highlight look or the high contrast airbrush look, even though I, I do use an airbrush almost exclusively, keep everything subtle and, you know, not a little toned down, but I don't know, for some reason, I just, I can't, I can't really push myself to do it. Now I've, I've been doing it a little bit more lately. I've done a couple of dreadnoughts, which, you know, to me, a dreadnought is gotta be weathered because mm-hmm. they're supposed to be you know ancient. And I, I built a couple ironclad dreadnoughts, which are wrecking balls, essentially. <laughs> Why, why do you think that people don't want to weather their Warhammer stuff? I, I know for me, a lot of it is just comes to, I don't want to take the time to do it. Not necessarily. I'm definitely not against it, but I like to get stuff painted so I can play with them. But you know, a lot of other people just, just almost refuse to do it. You know, have you noticed that? Yeah, indeed I have. Basically you could say that most people who are now watching the videos or subscribing to the channel or, um, becoming members of the Discord community. There are people, most of them, who have opted to, to do weathering, and uh, most of them haven't been doing it for a long time. So it's like new converts, if you like. I think the, the reason why it's it's so hard for people to, to make that choice initially, that initial choice, yes, I'm going to weather my models, is basically one of convention. And I, I think uh, Games Workshop basically is responsible for that. They've been pushing since the early 90s, basically, or since the inception of the game, they've been pushing a very particular style, which is essentially incompatible with, with weathering or with uh, verisimilitude. It's, it's a comic book style. It may be extremely artistic. There are guys who are absolutely incredible painters, have skills that I could never in a million years attain. I'm not disputing that, but it's not a style that I like. It's not something that I, I ever aspired to master. And going back to the Horus Heresy, back in 2012, like I said, the company uh, or a subset of the company, Forge World, within Games Workshop, they gave these guys freedom to, to do their own thing with the Horus Heresy brand, with how that was basically translating from the novels into the war game. And they all started doing weathering. Like I said, it was a, a big surprise for many of us. And the reason they did that was that they hired basically one of the masters of military modeling in the early 2000s. I don't know if you guys know this. I can't pronounce his name, but um, I will try. Phil Sutinskas. He won several awards with, with his military models in the, in the early 2000s, like I said. And he was hired, basically, to, to lead this team at Forge World. And so they all began to apply his techniques, weathering, you know, chipping. He, he's the guy who invented hairspray chipping, actually. And they, they all started applying these techniques to the Horus Heresy miniatures, to Space Marines and Dreadnoughts and all the rest of it. So that, that was completely transformed. And I think the, the fact that the Horus Heresy is kind of a, a niche within a niche, if you like, and, and everything else that, that's been associated with Space Marines has never been weathered. So I think that, that convention of the edge highlights and, and all this stuff the heavy metal style, as, as most people call it, I think it's that convention, that tradition that basically has has turned people away from weathering because it's like, oh my God, no, I can't do this. It's like breaking away from 
from tradition is like heresy almost, uh, pun intended. <laughs> so I think that's the reason. I don't think it's that there is, um, I don't think it's laziness on the part of people. Most people put like a huge uh, number of hours into their models. I, I think it's more of a kind of what they've always known. I don't know if I'm making sense. <laughs> No, no, I, it does make sense. And I'm glad you brought up uh, Phil, because I I am not going to attempt to say his last name, because I know I will get it nowhere close. I remember hearing, so I've obviously heard about him through normal scale, well, traditional scale modeling too. I actually heard an interview with Mike Rinaldi, who's an extremely talented scale modeler. Are, are you familiar with yes, him? Yes, indeed. You know, so I listened to an interview with him, and he talks about, because his big thing is hairspray chipping too. And he talks about being in awe of Phil and his whitewash hairspray chipping he did. I think and he won an award for, I think, in like 2004 or something. Somewhere in the early 2000s. 2006, uh, Panzer IV, I think. Is that what I mean? Yes. The, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. And it is fantastic. And um, I, yeah, I did not know he was involved in Forge World until I watched, I think, one of your one of your videos where, where you did have a, did you have a Forge World book? It was like a, I can't remember exactly all the details of it, but you mentioned his name. I was like, I know that name. I've heard that name. And uh, I was like, wow, I did not know he was involved in Forge World. How crazy is that? He basically led the team for several years and he he taught, he mentored the rest of the guys uh, at Forge World. And that's what, what got, you know, the, 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 whole, the whole weathering thing started uh, as far as the horse heresy was concerned. He also sculpted a lot of miniatures, some of my favorite tanks. Again, uh, I don't only do tanks, but it, it is my favorite thing. Some of my favorite Warhammer tanks were sculpted by, by Phil. Which, um, which one? What, well, which one's your favorite? Uh, the Macarius tank. Okay, yeah, that's thing. a cool one. He designed that from scratch. Oh, that's cool. That is a, that's a cool-looking model. I like that one. <laughs> it is, and, and it has, I mean, it's still science fiction, right? But But it has that kind of believability to it you, you could see that somehow in reality you, you look at that and it's not like one of these flying primary stacks sorry right <laughs> I, I i me personally i'm not the biggest fan of the hover tanks i i, I like my tanks with treads on them <laughs> same for me no not, not everyone's like that and you know i i have some i'm not gonna lie i mean i i have <laughs> repulsor executor and the little transport one impulsor they're fine, but uh, yeah, nothing beats like a land raider, you know, or a rhino. If you're talking space marines, they should be riding around in rhinos <laughs> and land raiders. That's that's classic. So you you kind of touched on this, and I I don't know what other people call it. I call it the GW method, the Games Workshop method, and it's base, wash, highlight, edge highlight, done. And that's that's kind of what they sell their customers. Um, and for a, a long time, for like when I got into it in 2012, I think is when I started eight years ago, that was, that's what everyone did. It was, this is, you wanted to paint a space Marine. This is how you paint a space Marine. I noticed within the last year, maybe two years that a lot of the really, I guess, professional painters, if you, if you will, have been kind of, Drifting to this more realistic style, not necessarily, I guess, realistic, but 
now they you know you watch videos and they all talk about volumes on on a model and textures that's just kind of been the new thing so if you look at like the golden demon winners from the early 2000s up until maybe even the mid 2010s everything was silky smooth you know nice beautiful creamy blends and now it's like gritty and textured and and space marine armor has looks like it's made out of actual armor and not smooth glass um have you noticed that partially i still think that um the i call it the heavy metal style it, I should say heavy metal style, but I can't pronounce it like the Brit- like the, like the British do. <laughs> so I won't try that. I still think it, it, it's uh, very much based on you know stuff like glazes and wet blending and layering primarily. But I think, or I hope that that the whole other approach, the alternative approach of weathering and more realism and, and stuff like that, is kind of slowly, gradually penetrating into. <laughs> the the conventions of games workshop as you say professional painters uh, i think it's starting to to make a dent and for instance in the last few years there's a lot of people who've moved over to this uh grimdark style the grimdark style is also not really realistic it's more kind of a an artistic approach if you like with a lot of i can't pronounce this pretend it's italian chiaroscuro um, or whatever, but you know, it's things like using oils, for example, rather than acrylic washes, textures, as you said. So, like stippling, for example, stuff so that it's not just um, a nice, even layer. I-, I think it's gradually shifting, perhaps, or to some extent. And I'm happy to see that. I think it was rather stagnated. I, I agree. As someone that started in in miniatures and the Games Workshop, you know, heavy metal style, obviously nowhere near that, that quality, but then discover quote unquote real scale models, oils and enamel effects and that kind of stuff. You know, I've, I've especially this year, it seems like every, every channel I watch that it has been around for a while now, all of a sudden they're like, Hey, you know, these things, there's like these <laughs> enamel products, right? You know, you can use, these are amazing. And everyone's like, oh my goodness, I've never heard of these. And as someone who's been doing normal, normal scale models for a while, I'm like, oh yeah, that's, that's, those have been around. That's not a new thing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what caused that. I don't know if there was someone, one person was like, Hey, let's use these. And then everyone else started doing it. it it's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, it is. I guess, I guess that's how movements start, right? You know, speaking of which. I know we touched on this earlier, so it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of you know crossover between traditional military slash civilian scale modeling and wargaming modeling, despite the fact that you know we clearly share a similar skill set and they're kind of you know cut from the same cloth. I know like when I first got into it and I bought an airbrush early on because it seemed like it would make my life easier. And of course it has, <laughs> you know, this was almost 10 years ago. And, and even then there was a huge hesitation between, you know, for uh, people like, Oh, you, you can't use an airbrush. Why not? <laughs> or another group of people like, Oh, Hey, 
have you heard this? Have you heard of these airbrushes? Yeah, you, we can use these to paint models, which, but then if you look at, you know, traditional scale modeling, they've been using airbrushes since the 70s, maybe even earlier. It's just how it's done typically. Why do you think that there's not really a whole lot of crossover? I mean, you would think, especially someone that's interested in war games, being a particular type of person would also be interested in building other things, but it doesn't really seem like that's necessarily the case. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a good question for all of us to ask ourselves to ponder. I don't have the answer to, to why there's uh, so little cross pollination of ideas, if you like, but basically I would say that my whole channel is devoted to that, right? My, my whole channel, the whole concept is about helping people or, um, persuading people who are uh, Warhammer players to try techniques and products that have traditionally been used by skilled modelers. And I hope that perhaps also in, in the process of doing that, some scale modelers look at uh, Warhammer miniatures or bolt action miniatures, or whatever, wargaming miniatures, and think, hmm, well, the, these miniatures aren't that bad. Those models aren't that bad either. Maybe I should try that because I think you know, the more the merrier. And uh, I think definitely people from both camps can learn from each other. I believe that very strongly. One thing I've been, I've been pondering lately, and actually you're partially responsible for that. Listen to your episode with Lincoln Wright with, um, with a lot of interest. I've recently discovered Machining Krieger, if you like. And I thought, man, if only we had those to play with, you know? Oh, that'd be, that would be pretty cool. Because to me, I mean, that's like dreadnoughts and, you know, ships and, and whatnot, but like dial to 11, those are really gritty. They're really realistic. I mean, in a way, but also they have, uh, they, they give the painter a lot of creative freedom, right? Cause it's not like color schemes set in stone as usually happens with Warhammer. Right. I looked at those and I thought, this is like a dreadnought only better. I, I would like to play with this. <laughs> so I, I think if you ask me, the best fusion of both worlds would be if someone came up with something like a Machine and Krieger war game. So please tell Linkwright that I said that. And if, if he makes it, I want in. <laughs> I, will, uh, I will pass that along to him. Man, I, I love Machine and Krieger. I, I cannot do enough to evangelize Machine and Krieger. I think it, I mean, to, just for me personally, it ticks all of the boxes mm -hmm. the designs are cool the kits are easy to relatively easy to build they're a little on the expensive side but as a warhammer player eh, i'm kind of used to that <laughs> you know the freedom to do whatever you want which obviously exists with any scale model but i i know me personally i'm more constrained to want to make it the like if i build a tank like a sherman i wanted to me personally, I want it to look as much like a real Sherman as possible. Now, you know, lots of other people don't, and that's totally awesome. And that's great. I love that. That's the beauty of this hobby. But for me, like if I build a machine and Krieger suit, I don't personally feel constrained to follow what I see on the box. Like I can paint it whatever color I want. I can put random stuff on it just because I found it laying in my bits box. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. There, they're so, I don't know. There's just something about them that, that just you know, tickles my fancy just every time I see them. Yeah, I recently discovered that. Um, I had no idea they even existed. A guy on on a forum told me about them, and I was like, huh, what's this? 
and it has this German name and stuff. What's this about? Uh, I actually knew uh, Link Ride before, but I didn't know that he was uh, such a big part of, of Machine Krieger. I've since in, recently, like two weeks ago, I bought a, a Falke, one of these kind of, um, I don't know whether to call it a spaceship or like a plane. You, you know the one with the Machine Krieger Falke? Yeah, I have one too. I've not built it yet, oh. but uh, it's they're, they're pretty neat. Cool. So I think that's going to be my next build, actually. Are, are you going to make a video of it? Definitely. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thank you. That is fantastic. The more Machine Krieger videos there are out there, the the better the world will be, I think. Because, yeah, I man, I just love those. And the Falke is really awesome. I already showed it to a bunch of guys from my Discord channel, and they were in awe at this model. I mean, the model, I just showed them like the spruce and stuff. It looks like super simple to make. But at the same time, it has a great level of detail. And I mean, even the decals look like really cool. Well, the the decals on machining career kits are one of my favorite parts because I have recently been because you know, they give you so many. And I have, I don't know, I think I'm looking over at my stack now. I don't know, maybe eight or nine kits of uh, different things. For machining career and the, the they give you so many extra decals they give you you know there's like in each each kit there's like four like you know official color schemes or whatever with their own markings so you're always going to have lots of leftover decals and i've been using them to decal add little details to uh my 40k stuff especially like on dreadnoughts in vehicles because you get lots of little pla- like warning placards and little and you can't even read them. You can just tell it's like text. <laughs> so like I've done a couple of dreadnoughts where on their, I guess, dreadnought power fist, whatever you want to call it. I've put the little warning placard on it. And every time I share one on uh, social media, everyone asks me, whoa, where did you get that that decal? That's awesome. That's a great idea. I'm going to imitate you if you don't mind. Oh, no, no, please do. That's uh, yeah. They're, uh, they're awesome little decals. And since they're not really tied to anything in particular you can put them on anything and they can kind of blend in and uh just add that next little next little level all right uh doug did you have anything you wanted to add sure question regarding your weathering and how do you uh how do you find your new techniques when you try something new do you tend to find them from other um like other youtube channels other other places or do you uh do you like to experiment and find your own ways to improve your techniques i mean i think all of us do kind of a bit of both right i do like reading a lot i have a huge (laughs) stack of uh, magazines and books on weathering so that is my my go-to resource rather than the youtube i have to say i have magazines from animal of meg from ak interactive you know basically all Mm -hmm. the all the major brands and then, of course, I like to experiment as well and, you know, fail, <laughs> fail forward. There's a lot of that. <laughs> and I, I really believe that that's a, the only way you can learn, right? By experimenting, making mistakes, <laughs> trying again. And uh, another question I have, I just, what I'd like to know about your uh, your community for Race for Terra on, uh, from YouTube with, with Discord. Tell us about the people there and, uh, and tell us a little bit about the uh, community showcase because I thought that was a really, really cool thing that you do on your channel. Right. So um, 
Well, like, like I said before, there's about 80 of us in the Discord channel. There's uh, people with, with various like levels of, of experience and from different parts of the world, different backgrounds, and so on and so forth. But there is a, a common denominator. First of all, like 95% of people, I think, basically play Horus Heresy. They, they are in it primarily for that, to learn how to weather their models these kind of complicated, oftentimes complicated resting kits from Forge World. That's one thing. And the other one is that, like myself, most of them, or quite a lot of them, are also interested in other fields like historical models. And we even have several, like, ardent, you know, like historical recreation guys who also are into uh, the sort of, um, I don't know how to describe it, like the sort of uh, almost like role-playing aspect of having your own, let's say, Roman armor and putting it on and going on on to, to uh, conventions and uh, historical shows and stuff like that. One of us who has also participated several times in the showcases, uh, his name is Rick. He's actually made, built things like uh, Mangonel or Ballistas or... <laughs> oh, wow. He's built actual working medieval siege weapons. Uh, so we, we've got people with pretty varied skill sets, and most of them interested in history, like I said. You should be seeing in coming months, basically, uh, more people in these showcases putting out models that aren't going to be only um, Warhammer-related anymore. And and your showcases, if for those of us, our, our listeners that don't, don't know what the showcase is, tell us a little bit about it. Well, for the f- past few couple of months, I think. Maybe it's been three months. I, I lose, <laughs> I lose um, don't remember when, when exactly we started with the showcases, but basically the idea is that, like I said before, I'm not necessarily a really good painter. I'm just okay. And I don't see myself as a guru or anything like that, but rather as, uh, as a teacher and a facilitator, maybe. So I really wanted to share what others in the community or at least as good as myself, if not better, we're creating. Well, a, a lot of people in the in the Discord have been really, really active in this regard. You, you can see some of their really good work. And I thought it was also a way to show to, to others what can be achieved uh, through weathering, because one of the the only requisite that, that I gave them was that all models had to have weathering, basically. Otherwise, they couldn't they couldn't feature. So um, it's my way to share with the larger modeling and Warhammer community and to show what can be achieved if you put your mind to it. Cool. I really, I really like that, that forum for um, other people to be, you sharing other people's work. I think that was, that was a really nice, uh, nice touch on your channel. Thank you. So what, what real world subjects are, can we maybe see from you in the future outside of Warhammer? Because that's, I mean, that's your thing, but I know you mentioned some real world stuff. What, what might we see? Well, you're going to be, you're, you're going to see that machine rigor Falke, even if that's not re- a real world subject, <laughs> you're going to see the armored car that Michael, that Michael Collins died in. So Michael Collins is uh, armored Rolls Royce in Irish. It's pronounced something like uh, sleep naman. That's the, the name of his car. So you're going to be seeing that. And, uh, of course, some more 
some more tanks down the road. One particular challenge that I'm kind of scared about, but I'll have to complete at some point, is um, the Aoshima Mad Max Interceptor Kit. Again, I mean, I guess that's not real world, but <laughs> kind of. Yeah, but it's 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 a change of pace from Warhammer, um, and and so I I'm looking forward to seeing all of that. That's that sounds great. <laughs> Thank you. Wish me luck. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> the, the interceptor is probably that's got to be one of the, the coolest movie cars ever, right? I mean, that thing is just awesome. Indeed, but um, the reason I'm scared is not. Like, I'm not afraid of the painting or the weathering. I'm pretty sure that I, I can I can do that. But the building, I'm really intimidated, <laughs> intimidated about. I'm not I'm not very good at building at all. And that kid has a very high part number and pretty complex instructions. I've already looked and I thought, wow, <laughs> am I actually going to be able to put this together? Well, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's a pretty well regarded model kit though. I mean, I think it's hard to find too. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't cheap, I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to touch on? No, no, not really. You've been you've, you've been great. I hope I wasn't too long-winded in my in my responses. Oh no. That's fantastic. Thank you Enrique and once again his channel is The Race for Terra on YouTube. Please check it out. It's some really good work, some great ideas on weathering, and and his community seems really, really sharp. So um, we recommend you guys give them a look. Thank you again, Enrique. Thank you very much. It was an honor and a privilege for me to be here. Our pleasure. All right. That was the interview portion. That was a really great interview with Enrique. He has a lot of good perspective. I really like how he is kind of on the leading edge of, of incorporating, you know, quote unquote, traditional model weathering into, you know, war, Warhammer figures and those kinds of things. So great interview. Good job, Doug and TJ. You guys did a super job on that. Thanks. We enjoyed uh, recording that one. He's a good guy. Yeah, that was fun. Jim. It's been a blast having you here with us. Hopefully we have you back soon. Well, thanks for having me, and it's good to be part of a posse. Absolutely. We'll have to get you the honorary badge (laughs) up to you. The honorary badge we've never (laughs) made. But, well, Ray Davis designed one for us. We just have to make it now. Did a great job, too. Coming up next episode, we're going to have an armor extravaganza. You guys won't want to miss this. We're going to have Neil Stokes. He's a really great armor modeler. He's also the creator of the 4BO Green website. If you're at all interested in Russian armor, especially the KV or IS tanks, I'm sure you're familiar with that. And we're also going to have a return visit from our good buddy John Benani and JC Osborne on to talk about even more armor goodness. So don't miss episode 12 uh, coming up. We've also got some other really exciting podcasts uh, that'll be coming soon. And so 2021 is going to be hopefully another great year for the Plastic Posse podcast. Guys, uh, I think that's it. Uh, We'll talk with you in a couple of weeks. Uh, Jim, look forward to seeing that new episode of your vlog that hopefully will drop tonight. You guys have a great uh, couple of weeks. Model on, eh? Have a good one. 
Thanks, guys. Talk to you later. Take care, guys. Talk to you later.